Reopening the U.S. land border. I think it will be a good thing, us being able to get back over there. How soon you'll be able to cross and big questions about what happens when you return. Paying the price for taking a stand. Anti-vax people a bit more in my face. The Nanaimo restaurant targeted for enforcing vaccine cards. And real change coming to False Creek. It was a shock even though we knew that it was coming. The plans to give the Vancouver waterfront a major high-density makeover. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Canada-U.S. land border is about to become a two-way crossing once again. The U.S. government announcing that next month, fully vaccinated Canadians will be able to drive into the U.S. for non-essential travel. John Hua joins us now with the details, including some important questions still unanswered. John. Well, this is the news people on both sides of the border have been waiting a long 19 months to hear. The questions now are, will both countries match the COVID-19 requirements needed to make it through the respective ports of entry? And will that include recognition of the mixed doses currently protecting many British Columbians during this pandemic? Move over, transport trucks. Prepare to make room for family reunions. I have an ex-son-in-law that lives down there, which will be great for my granddaughter. And that long-awaited road trip to Trader Joe's. I think it'll be a good thing, us being able to get back over there and everything opened up. The United States government announcing its land and ferry borders will reopen in early November to Canadian non-essential travel for the first time since March of last year. The U.S. border will be open to our Canadian neighbours. Uh, there will be a vaccine requirement, uh, but no testing requirement. The announcement is a sign that cross-border travel might finally be returning to normal. What route each country is taking, the cause for confusion. We have been asking government for you know one seamless system for all Canadians to use domestically and internationally. Here's a breakdown of the land border rules by country. Non-essential travel in the U.S. from Canada will begin sometime in early November. Once again, entry will require proof of vaccination, but not a negative COVID-19 test. Canada's land borders have been open to non-essential travel since August 20th. As it stands now, even fully vaccinated travelers need to show a pre-entry molecular test. Use the ArriveCan app and could be subject to random on-arrival testing. It negates the concept of the concept of going to the states to save funds. I think that one, one rule goes for both sides. When asked whether Canada would ditch the costly PCR tests, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland was short on details. So okay. we are working to clarify and finalize all the details with our American partners. Whether the U.S. will be willing to accept mixed doses of authorized vaccine remains a mystery. And I know uh, our colleagues in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control are, are looking at those data as well, and we expect to hear more about this important issue. So before you start planning that next U.S. road trip, the first thing that needs to be cleared at the border is a bunch of questions. While there is no set date to when the U.S. will open its land borders to non-essential Canadian travel, considering Congressman Hagan's comments that this should have been done five months ago, and reports that his office is pushing for as early as November 1st. That doesn't leave a lot of time for both countries to get on the same page. Chris, Sophie? All right, thanks for that, John Hua, reporting tonight. 
Well, reaction to the border announcement from the business community is generally positive, but the optimism is cautious for some of them. And for that angle, let's bring in our Richard Zussman from Victoria. Richard, what have they been telling you? Yeah, they are cautious, Chris, around that PCR test you mentioned. Both tourism operators here in Canada and retailers in the United States are concerned about the impact that that test will have, the cost associated with it, and what it will mean for business considering the last 20 months has been brutal. Black Friday is often the peak of retail sales in Bellingham, bolstered by Canadians. Now hope this chaos can soon resume. As a broad perspective as a community, we look forward to the border being more open uh, than less open. With news the land border between Canada and the United States will once again open in November, there's optimism border businesses can bounce back. Canadians make up about 30% of retail sales in Whatcom County, from Blaine to Bellingham. All of our restaurants in town are closed a couple days of the week, like in the middle of the week and for lunch, just because it's been slow. Now, you know, with the border opening, that'll change, hopefully. But there are still concerns. The big one, the required negative PCR test for people to enter into Canada. That means travelers may be more resistant to come from Canada into the U.S., and there are calls growing to scrap it. What we hope to get to at some point in time is just showing um, a vaccine card, uh, something kind of equitable that you would experience when you're going to a venue for theater or music or sports. That PCR test requirement doesn't just have an impact for American businesses. American travelers must provide proof as well, largely keeping them away from spending money in Canada. U.S. travelers spend over twice as much as Canadian travelers on average. Um, we've done well with regional travelers, but we can't sustain ourselves long term with that. Canadian tourism and business groups also calling for the federal government to review the PCR test requirement. The visitor economy in Vancouver lost nearly $10 billion in 2020. So this is incredibly important to understand what the regulations are going to be and to ensure that there are no barriers for entry, including having a PCR test. So if we don't have more clarity around our biggest international source market, the United States, that's a big problem. So it's important that the federal government name a cabinet, get to work and start addressing these issues. The American government also reopening the water border as well, so vessels from Canada can go over to the United States for recreational reasons. The other big factor still at play here, Chris, is around flights in places like Victoria and Kelowna. Right now, international flights can't land here, including float planes like the ones back here. And so there was a hope from tourism operators and from chambers of commerce that the federal government will address that issue both here and in the United States states at some point very soon a lot to decide in the next few days thanks very much richard all right let's have a look now at the latest covid19 numbers for our province we have 605 new cases of covid19 that brings our total since testing began to just over 195,000. there are four covid related deaths to report 374 people are in hospital that's up 17 and 153 patients in the icu we have nearly 5,200 active cases right now in BC. 82.7% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Now, while those daily numbers 
provides some insight into the situation. A weekly snapshot provides even more information, a bigger picture story. Uh, For those numbers, let's bring in our Keith Baldry in Victoria. What do you know, Keith? Yeah, they certainly tell a better story and more complete story, especially when it comes to hospitalizations and deaths. So every Wednesday, the Center for Disease Control issues what it calls its weekly data summary, a category, uh, categorizing those health indicators. Take a look at the week, September 26th to October 5th, and again, September 30th to October 5th. 39 people died in that week. 289 people were hospitalized. So the daily number we report doesn't really reflect necessarily the gross number of hospitalizations and more than 4,800 cases in those five to six days alone. Again, I think that gives you a better sense of just how many people are dying and being hospitalized with COVID-19. The daily number doesn't quite capture that. And when we see those numbers on a week-by-week basis, we understand why hospitals are under so much pressure. Uh, We're also getting some, some updated data, Keith, on the risk for unvaccinated people. Yeah, so again, the Center for Disease Control calculates using a month's worth of data, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, and then they sort of weight it by age because it does affect older people with more severe outcomes, and then calculates the risk you really run if you're unvaccinated. Take a look at this leaded estimate from CDC. You're 10 times more likely to get infected with COVID-19 if you're not fully vaccinated. Uh, If you're unvaccinated, you're 52 times more likely to be hospitalized. You're 44 times more likely to die from COVID-19 if you're unvaccinated. Right now, there's 153 people in ICU. Unfortunately, some of them will die, as we've seen the case in uh, since the pandemic began. Now, of those 153, 90% are not fully vaccinated. And if you think it's just old people dying, keep in mind, since the end of September, six people under the age of 50 have passed away with COVID-19, and the number of people in ICUs has grown by more than two dozen. So it's a very serious illness if you're in virus. If you're not vaccinated, you run a real risk of the worst outcome of COVID-19, you're 44 times more likely to pass away from the virus. The numbers tell the story. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. A Nanaimo restaurant owner believes he's being unfairly targeted after vandals smashed his front window. The owner says he and other restaurants nearby all suffered similar damage in a rash of attacks last week. Madagahi reports on why the owner thinks anti-vaxxers are to blame. 20 years, Gaetan Brosso has been tending bar and running restaurants in Nanaimo, and never has this happened to him. Random vandalism, he thought at first, before learning the same had happened at two other restaurants nearby. Three restaurants, same night. Nobody else got broken in. Uh, You know, it's suspicious. Now he strongly believes that he and others may have been targeted for following the province's proof of vaccination requirement for indoor dining. Two weeks ago, I did uh, have some uh, anti-vax people a bit more in my face uh, than usual on that night, telling me, like, you know, I'm an idiot to follow the rule, asking them, you know, if they got a vaccine passport, the ID and all that. Uh, you know, it's almost feel like an intrusion a little bit. But it has to be done. Uh, my customer expect me to do that. They come to my restaurant with that expectation, and, and I will do it. Between late Thursday night and early Friday morning, Nanaimo's Modern Cafe and Nest Bistro also had their window broken. All we have at this point is rocks were thrown at the windows. We don't know why. Not completely clear, but police hope this image might jog someone's memory. In the meantime, Brosseau wants people to know restaurant owners like him are only following the rules when they ask for proof of vaccine. Don't get it on us because uh, we have regulation to follow. 
And this is not optional to us. This is not an option. I cannot tell you, well, I don't care about this and that. And adds, what's happened should not make anyone think any differently of his community. It's not a reflection of Nanaimo. Uh, and also, it's probably not a reflection of most people who don't want to be vaccinated. Emadagahi, Global News. A Chilliwack pastor convicted of child pornography charges has been sentenced to more than a year behind bars for his crimes. On Wednesday, 58-year-old John Vermeer was sentenced to 14 months in jail plus 18 months probation. In April, Vermeer was convicted of two counts of possessing child pornography and two counts of accessing child pornography. The B.C. Prosecution Service confirms the two sentences will run concurrently. The pastor will also be placed on the sex offender's registry for 10 years. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing woman. 21-year-old Sarah Eviston was reported missing September 20th when she failed to make contact with her family. She was actually last seen three or four weeks before that in the Pigeon Park area of Vancouver. Eviston is 5'5 with a slim build. She has a Guns N' Roses tattoo on her right arm. And Richmond RCMP are looking for help to locate a missing woman. 38-year-old Mary Catherine Chinnick was last seen Sunday and reported missing on Tuesday. Friends and family say this is out of character for her and police are very concerned for her health. She's described as 5'9 with a slim build and long dark hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a long grey coat. Anyone with information is asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. The plan to transform the South False Creek neighborhood. 80% of this waterfront jewel is owned by Vancouver. And some residents were shocked to see what the city wants to do with it. That's next on the News Hour. It's not quite beam me up, Scotty, but Star Trek actor William Shatner traveled through space briefly. His emotional reaction as he set a record coming up. And researchers just busted a myth about our southern resident orca family, what they learned coming up later. Right now, though, mixed reaction tonight to the city of Vancouver's plans for a massive redevelopment of one of its most valuable waterfront properties. The proposal for the False Creek Southlands would greatly increase the number of new homes in the area, but it would displace hundreds of current residents. Kamal Karamali reports. After years of waiting, False Creek South residents finally have an idea of what the future of their neighborhood will look like and their reaction. It was a shock. City staff put forward a proposal Tuesday on a recommended plan that would see the number of homes increase by more than three times the current amount. It was a shock to see this, the scale and the timelines that are in there. The city of Vancouver owns 80% of False Creek South. That's 32 hectares, roughly the size of 80 football fields, with their leases set to expire 15 to 25 years from now. Right now, there are just over 1,800 housing units in False Creek South. The city-owned area spans from the Burrard Street Bridge to the Camby Bridge and runs along 6th and 4th Avenues. City staff's recommended development plan would see nearly 2,000 more homes built over the next couple of decades, bringing the total to just over 3,700. Phase 2 would begin sometime after that and would add 2,800 units, more than tripling the number of homes currently in False 
Devil's Creek South. Right now, nearly 60% is subsidized and co-op housing. But the new influx of developments would bring in a lot more for-profit housing, making the split roughly one-third non-market and co-op housing, one-third leasehold strata, and one-third market rentals. It won't be viewed as a positive change for many of the people who've lived down here for decades. The city's proposal would have those non-market and co-op homes relocated to another part of the neighborhood. It'll be difficult because they're going to be kicked out of their homes. They're going to see their homes demolished. But many residents welcoming a denser neighborhood as long as it continues to cater to all levels of income. We know we have to change to stay the same. It sounds contradictory, but it's really important to get the concept of change and building on what we have. The report is set to be presented to City Council late next week. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A walk along the lakefront is a favorite pastime for many people in Kelowna, both residents and tourists. But there's one business that's blocked access to a waterfront board a boardwalk, and the legal battle between the city of Kelowna and the El Dorado Hotel is heating up. Jules Knox reports. When COVID-19 first hit, this gate by the El Dorado was latched and locked, much to the dismay of the city of Kelowna. The general public blocked from continuing their waterfront stroll. It's a little bit of a disappointment when you're trying to walk all around from the beaches all this way. Around June 2020, the city cut the lock on the gate, according to court documents, and then the business relocked it. That prompted the city to seek an injunction that the gate be reopened from sunrise to sunset every day and demanding a key. The El Dorado disputes that it even owes the public a right-of-way, but in a time of COVID, it's also arguing that the restaurant can't maintain a safe outdoor eating area as long as the public is allowed to walk through it. In court on Wednesday, the judge largely based his ruling on current COVID restrictions. The El Dorado may prevent access to the boardwalk when outdoor dining is open for business, but that gate must be open on days when the patio is closed. And if COVID restrictions loosen, the city can ask for the injunction to be changed. When we visited a few hours after the judge's ruling, the outdoor dining area was empty and the gate was locked. However, access to the area might have been partially restricted because of a nearby film crew. Both the El Dorado and the city declined an interview, saying they need more time to get a clearer picture of the details before commenting. The judge noted this ruling is an interim measure, as the case is still expected to head to trial. And then the focus will be on whether or not the El Dorado is even legally obligated to provide public access to this boardwalk. It calls the right-of-way declaration invalid and unenforceable, while the city says it's in breach of its conditions. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Up next, big incentives to park the car and pedal instead. Every person we get onto an e-bike will amplify out to eight people, we think. The coastal city offering cash for people to give up their keys. And later, your right to a refund when travel plans go sideways. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge this evening with just a little leftover volume southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge.
Center Flow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is moving well both ways on Highway 99 with just some minor holdups on the Steveston on and off ramps. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay in your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A team of UBC researchers say they have busted a major myth when it comes to the health of some of BC's iconic orcas. But as Ted Chernecki reports, their findings are raising more questions about the long-term viability of the southern resident population. Spectacular video captured by a UBC research team of life below the surface for BC southern resident orcas. A whale's eye view of how they hunt and feed. And from the air, drones show that each mammal is thinner than its cousins north of Vancouver Island. The long-standing theory that this was due to a declining Chinook salmon stock just got blown out of the water. There weren't like four to six times fewer fish. There were four to six times more. More than the healthier, larger northern resident orcas. And now an even larger question arises. Just because they're prey available, they're prey in the water column, doesn't mean they can catch them. So in Juan de Fuca Strait, our CUC habitat, there are more vessel presence. So there might be noise issue in the water. Noise pollution might be one explanation, but scientists are noticing that for the first time, the southern residents have been returning from California late and missing some of the Chinook run. What's changed just before in December of 2016 is that Granny died. Granny was one of the southern residents known as J2, uh, the oldest female we've ever known. And within Kilowell societies, the resident type, the fish eaters, are led by the eldest female. And after her death, the other, the next in line that succeeded her, my assumption is that they had a different idea about how they want to spend their summers. The study doesn't suggest the Chinook salmon aren't declining, but their scarcity might be more pronounced elsewhere. We know the salmon is important for the summertime, but we don't really know what they eat during the wintertime or springtime when they're not in the Salish Sea. Remarkably, no one had ever tested the salmon shortage theory. Scientists were so confounded, they studied it again in year two. And as we dug further into the second year, found the same result. So they don't know why the southern resident orcas are fading. They just know it's not because of a food supply in the summer. Ted Chernarki, Global News. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says the Moderna vaccine does not meet their criteria to be used for booster doses, possibly because the efficacy of the first two doses has remained strong. The FDA says while the Moderna booster did increase protective antibodies, it wasn't a big enough difference from the first shots. The U.S. CDC is set to meet with a panel of advisors to assess who can receive the boosters. Moderna is looking to authorize a 50-microgram booster dose, which would be half the strength of the original vaccine. They're also trying to get approval for a third dose for adults 65 and older. The U.S. FDA is also issuing a new alert about sodium intake. The goal is to cut people's salt intake by 12% in the next two and a half years. To meet that goal, the Food and Drug Administration is urging food manufacturers and restaurants to take action now. If we do it gradually, I think it'll be acceptable. 
there are always some people who have their fist around a salt shaker, as you know, and, and they'll be able to add more salt to their food if that's what they want. But the vast majority of people can't control their salt intake very well, even if they already have high blood pressure. Some of the biggest high salt culprits include processed food in cans, salty snacks, and fast food. A lot of, lot of good things, a lot of fun <laughs> things to eat. Still ahead, a perfect pandemic pivot. It, it got really bad and we, we did get pretty close to shutting down. How the owners of this cat cafe feel like they have nine lives. And coming up in sports, emotions run high in a testy soccer match between Canada and Panama. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 18th to 22nd. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. The collapse of air travel during COVID has revealed a gap in the protections offered by what's known as Canada's Air Passenger Bill of Rights. The feds are working on new rules, but an independent airline watchdog says the proposed changes don't go far enough. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more. And Thanks, Sophie. The government says the pandemic has revealed that the minimum obligations contained in the air passenger protection regulations are insufficient when it comes to refunds for flight cancellations and lengthy delays due to situations outside the carrier's control. Under the proposed changes being looked at right now, air carriers would be required to provide a refund following a flight cancellation or lengthy delay due to situations outside the airline's control if they cannot rebook passengers within 48 hours of the original departure time or rebook those who do not wish to be refunded. But the nonprofit air passenger rights organization says 48 hours is not a reasonable time. Not only does this put passengers at a disadvantage because travel may no longer serve its purpose, but the vague language of the proposed changes may lead to problems down the road, similar to what Canadians experienced with vouchers and refunds during the pandemic. If you are going to, say, celebrate Christmas with your family or go home for New Year or just go over Thanksgiving, just imagine someone wanting to go for Thanksgiving. They have a ticket for Friday and instead they get offered a transportation on uh, Sunday. They arrive and next day they can come back. We all have time sensitive lives these days in this age. So 48 hours is completely off the mark. Now, under European Union regulations, which Air Passenger Rights says are the gold standard, if your flight is cancelled for any reason, you have the right to insist on a refund. Air Passenger Rights has submitted that the Canadian Transportation Agency amend the Air Passenger Protection Regulations to provide passengers with a right to a refund in the event of a flight cancellation or delay of more than three hours, regardless of the cause or classification. The CTA says all input received following the publication of the proposed regulations will be carefully considered and it may suggest adjustments based on this feedback. Once it and the governor and council or cabinet approve any changes, final regulations will be published online. In the meantime, Air Passenger Rights is encouraging passengers to contact their members of parliament and express their concerns over these proposed changes. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thank you. 
Saanich residents have a new incentive to ditch their cars for an electric bike. The municipality is now offering some major rebates towards the purchase of an e-bike instead in a program that's the first of its kind for B.C. Kylie Stanton reports. It takes everybody by surprise how fun these bikes are to ride. That explains the growing popularity. But these e-bikes don't come cheap. This one is just under $5,000. That price may soon be a little easier to stomach, thanks to a new pilot program being launched by the district of Saanich. It's a, a wonderful incentive. The mayor is a fan. We like it. The battery is detachable. It charges in just a couple of hours. In fact, he's had one for years. It makes everything flat. Saanich is now providing rebates for e-bikes in an effort to make the product more accessible, while helping residents switch to active and electric transportation. Why is it critical? Because we have a climate change emergency. $200,000 in funding has been allocated to the program that can be accessed by 300 participants. 120 of the rebates will be reserved for income qualified applicants on a sliding scale. The base incentive is $350, which is available for anybody. And you can get up to $1,600 or $800, depending on your income assessment. Between insurance, license and registration, maintenance, fuel and vehicle payments, compare the total yearly costs. Just over 4700 for a 2010 Honda Civic, more than 11000 for a 2021 Ford F-150 and only $670 for an e-bike. Every person we get onto an e-bike will amplify out to eight people, we think. But it will all be closely studied. The district is working with researchers at the UBC REACT lab to assess the impacts of the program on travel behavior and climate change. While we know that this can be a really impactful um, policy idea, what we now want to show is that it actually is. This is the first time a local government in the province has taken this on, but Turner expects it won't be the last. He says it's only a matter of time before others jump on board. Having this can only move us in the right direction. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. They're pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Up ahead, the weakest link in orca survival. We were surprised by what we found. What marine experts learned about resident orcas that might help save the species. And a warning about salt. How much you'll have to cut to stay healthy. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is moving well both ways on Highway 99 with just some minor holdups on the Steveston on and off ramps. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay in your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A team of UBC researchers say they have busted a major myth when it comes to the health of some of BC's iconic orcas. But as Ted Chernecki reports, their findings are raising more questions about the long-term viability of the southern resident population. Spectacular video captured by a UBC research team of life below the surface for BC southern resident orcas. A whale's eye view of how they hunt and feed. And from the air, drones show that each mammal is thinner than its cousins north of Vancouver Island. The long-standing theory that this was due to a declining Chinook salmon stock just got blown out of the water. They weren't like four to six times 
fewer fish, there are four to six times more. More than the healthier, larger northern resident orcas. And now an even larger question arises. Just because they're prey available, they're prey in the water column, doesn't mean they can catch them. So in Juan de Fuca's trade, our CUC habitat, there are more vessel presence, so there might be noise issue in the water. Noise pollution might be one explanation, but scientists are noticing that for the first time, the southern residents have been returning from California late and missing some of the Chinook run. What's changed just before in December of 2016 is that Granny died. Granny was one of the southern residents known as J2, uh, the oldest female we've ever known. And within killer whale societies, the resident type, the fish eaters, are led by the eldest female. And after her death, the other, the next in line that succeeded her, my assumption is that they had a different idea about how they want to spend their summers. The study doesn't suggest the Chinook salmon aren't declining, but their scarcity might be more pronounced elsewhere. We know the salmon is important for the summertime, but we don't really know what they eat during the wintertime or springtime when they're not in the Salish Sea. Remarkably, no one had ever tested the salmon shortage theory. Scientists were so confounded, they studied it again in year two. And as we dug further into the second year, found the same result. So they don't know why the southern resident orcas are fading. They just know it's not because of a food supply in the summer. Ted Chernarki, Global News. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says the Moderna vaccine does not meet their criteria to be used for booster doses, possibly because the efficacy of the first two doses has remained strong. The FDA says while the Moderna booster did increase protective antibodies, it wasn't a big enough difference from the first shots. The U.S. CDC is set to meet with a panel of advisors to assess who can receive the boosters. Moderna is looking to authorize a 50 microgram booster dose, which would be half the strength of the original vaccine. They're also trying to get approval for a third dose for adults 65 and older. The U.S. FDA is also issuing a new alert about sodium intake. The goal is to cut people's salt intake by 12% in the next two and a half years. To meet that goal, the Food and Drug Administration is urging food manufacturers and restaurants to take action now. If we do it gradually, I think it'll be acceptable. There are always some people who have their fist around a salt shaker, as you know, and, and they'll be able to add more salt to their food if that's what they want. But the vast majority of people can't control their salt intake very well, even if they already have high blood pressure. Some of the biggest high salt culprits include processed food in cans, salty snacks, and fast food. A lot of, a lot of good things, a lot of fun <laughs> things to eat. Still ahead, a perfect pandemic pivot. It got really bad and we, we did get pretty close to shutting down. How the owners of this cat cafe feel like they have nine lives. And coming up in sports, emotions run high in a testy soccer match between Canada and Panama. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 18th to 22nd. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. 
quite a remarkable story now that saw a special teddy bear reunited with its rightful owner only by chance. And it's all thanks to a patrol ranger who spotted the toy in the snow. A year ago this October, young Naomi Pascal lost her favorite toy, Teddy, while hiking with her family on Hidden Lake Trail in Glacier National Park. Pretty much almost back to Big Fork, and we realized, I think Naomi was the one that realized that Teddy was missing. Teddy was no average bear, holding deep significance to Naomi as he was the first gift she received from her new family before being adopted from an Ethiopian orphanage in 2016. Yeah, we have lots of pictures of her getting the bear and um, that was definitely her first toy. Um, and so that was, it was really special that she was able to have that until we were able to go and, and meet her in person. After a big snowstorm, Glacier National Park Ranger Tom Mazarisi stumbled upon Teddy while out on patrol. On our way up, I noticed this little teddy bear kind of was still snow melting off it a little bit off the trail. Despite being weathered from the storm, Ranger Mazarisi decided to hold on to Teddy and placed him on his patrol car dashboard, dignifying Teddy, his vehicle's unofficial mascot. Perfect little spot, sat upright, looking out the front windshield. <laughs> For close to a year, Teddy sat proudly front and center on the patrol car dashboard, helping keep a watchful eye out for bears and other wild animals. In my career in the park service, including Yellowstone, has been the busiest year for, for bears. Fast forward to last week, a family friend of the Pascals happened to be hiking in Glacier National Park and noticed Teddy sitting on a patrol car dashboard. They just happened upon this, this ranger truck randomly and, and her niece saw Teddy in the dashboard and, and they texted a picture of Teddy to my wife, Addie, and said, is this, the, is this the bear? And she's like, yeah. Soon after, Ben and Addie broke the news to Naomi that Teddy was coming home. I bet um, excited because I didn't know I was going to have to see him again. <laughs> a few days later, Teddy was express mail to the Pascal family home in Jackson, Wyoming, back in Naomi's loving arms where he belongs. You got just like a little bit excited, I think, just like a tiny bit. A lot. She was like jumping <laughs> up and down. She was so excited. Ranger Mazarisi says he was more than happy to keep Teddy company this last year. He hopes to meet Naomi in person one day for a Teddy reunion back in Glacier National Park. That would be great to just talk to her and that and her family and just kind of uh, just get, get, tell them some stories from the, our travels together last year. In Glacier National Park, Sean Wells, MTN News. And Teddy probably misses the ranger a little bit. I would bet, yeah. You spent a year together yeah. in beautiful country. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's check in with Christy right now for a look at our uh, later in the week forecast here once we head into the weekend. Christy? Yes, you're highlighting later in the week because it's looking a little ugly. Uh, did you, though, first of all, see the local mountains today? Boy, so we had snow on the local mountains and then a bit of blue sky today. Perfect viewing, and we've got some video of the lines. Stunning shots. Thank you to our great cameraman, Pat uh, Bell, for that one. Um, that local uh, snow, by the way, is not going to stick around very long, and that's the reason that we need to talk about this. Special weather statement. This is from Friday morning right through Sunday morning. 
So we're expecting the potential up to 150 millimeters of rain. Now, not only are we going to see the rain, but we're going to see a big surge in warmth. So it'll get milder here, but that means the freezing levels are also going to climb. So a lot of that rain will hit that local or the local mountain snow, and that will melt and make its way down to the rivers and streams. So yes, we're ex uh, concerned about localized flooding. We are concerned about the rapid rise of rivers and streams in the region. So be very, very careful. And uh, we'll be watching this very closely. It's still a couple of days out. In the meantime, for tomorrow, we're expecting just cloud and a few showers. So the heavier rain not set to push in tomorrow, although it will still be chilly tomorrow with a high of only 10 degrees, well below seasonal for this time of year. And then it's Friday morning that the first of two potent systems that are set to push in. And this is an atmospheric river, everyone. That's why we're expecting that mild, very wet flow from Friday morning right through Sunday morning. So clear any storm drains in your region. Maybe even check the gutters of your house. Make sure all the drainage is ha happening properly. Uh, so this is a nice shot from the Seymour, uh, Mount Seymour region, our central windows weather window for today from Lindy. And this is Bear, her dog. They were out for a walk in that gorgeous snow, but unfortunately it's not going to stick around for too long. All right. Thanks, Christy. Great pictures. Cool. All right, 90-year-old William Shatner is officially the oldest person to ever blast off to the edge of space. The Canadian actor lifted off from Texas, accompanied by three other passengers. He was invited by Jeff Bezos' space travel company, Blue Origin, to experience space in the same rocket that Jeff Bezos did. The whole journey lasted about 11 minutes, with the rocket landing safely after reaching an altitude of about 106 kilometers. That's about 50 kilometers from the altitude needed to achieve orbit. This experience is something unbelievable. You see, yeah, you know, uh, weightless, my stomach went up. Ah, this is so weird. But not as weird as the covering of blue. This is what I never expected. Oh, it's one thing to say, oh, the sky of the thing and the fragile thing. It's all true. He got very philosophical. He sure did. But who can blame him? No, what an exactly. Well, I'm sure if you're out there looking at the Earth from that perspective, you would tend to get philosophical. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's not like looking out the window of a plane. It's not even like seeing a picture. It's completely different. Which we'll probably I'm guessing, never of know. course. I've never done it, yeah. <laughs> and we probably never will. Probably never will. But it's good that William Shatner got to do it. And I'm going to say it again. That guy is one of the best-looking 90-year-olds I've ever seen. Not to denigrate other 90-year-olds, but man, that guy has aged well. He's done well. Okay. Uh, the uh, Canucks start their season very shortly in Edmonton against the Oilers. Optimism is high amongst Canuck players. We made a lot of improvements on our lineup. Uh, I like our group. They will have a tough matchup against Connor McDavid and the Orders, but we'll see if the Canucks changes make them tougher to play against this year. And how a local cat cafe clawed its way back when the pandemic hit.
some pretty amazing stuff uh, for Team Canada in yes. soccer. We'll get to that, Squire. But we'll get to that. A great goal tonight by Alfonso Davies. Big win for Canada. But first, it all begins tonight for the Vancouver Canucks. It's game one of 82. It's in Edmonton. It's against the Oilers. There will be no Brock Besser in the lineup. He did skate this morning. He's expected to play at some point during this six-game Canuck road trip. So instead of Besser on the number one line with Pedersen and J.T. Miller, it's going to be the latest signing, Alex Chason. Now, I've played up and down the lineup throughout my career. Um, and, you know, I, I know what I can bring to a line to, to help those guys be successful. And um, I just got to focus on that tonight. Now, at the start of Canucks training camp, I don't think anyone thought that Langley's Kyle Burroughs would start an opening night for Vancouver. Most people thought he would end up in Abbotsford, but he will be out there tonight. Now, this is a local guy who grew up a diehard Canucks fan, always wore a number seven because he loved Brendan Morrison. That would have given him some extra motivation at the start of camp to prove to the Canucks he deserved a shot to play for the hometown team. And he did surprise Travis Green and the coaching staff. He's an aggressive guy. Uh, he's smart. Um, you know, he knows his defensive details. He, he's, you know, maybe surprised us a little bit with the, his play with the puck. We knew he was an aggressive player, but his play with the puck and his, and his hockey sense has been has been better than we thought, really. And uh, that's why that's probably why he's in. And for the second time in a week, the Canucks have had one of their players grabbed off of waivers. The first, of course, was Jonah Gadjevich. They tried to send him down to Abbotsford. San Jose grabbed him. Today, Philadelphia took forward Zach McEwen. The Canucks tried to send him to Abbotsford to make room for Alex Chason. So, McEwen had been with the Canucks organization since 2017, was never drafted, played 55 games in Vancouver, never able to establish himself as a must-have bottom six forward, but he should get a chance in Philly, which probably will like his size and, as you can see here, toughness. Canada's men's soccer team has not lost yet during this final World Cup qualifying tournament. They've gotten points on the road in the U.S. and Mexico doing things the Canadian team hasn't done in a long time. And as we have said many times before, this is the most talented Canadian men's team we have ever seen. Even more talented than the one that went to the 1986 World Cup. And it has the most gifted Canadian men's player ever, Alfonso Davies. And tonight, he put on another memorable performance and a huge win over Panama in Toronto. This was a game Canada needed to win. It's a home game. You got to win these. And if they win, they jump in the top three. And the top three automatically qualify for the World Cup. And the first goal was Panama. I couldn't resist. Actually, the second goal was Panama, but they put this one in their own net off Davies' uh, corner kick. So that made it 1-1. Before the first half was over, Davies was getting into it with a couple of the Panamanians, and then everybody got into it. No punches thrown, but a lot of shoves, words, things like that. Watch this. The Panamanian player thinks this is going out. Nope, Davies steals it. Keeps going. Makes a move. And brilliant. I do think Panama thought the ball might have been out. And I don't think it quite was. It just needs to be on the edge. And I think that was on the edge. 
And here's what happened afterwards. You just saw it, but on a replay, Davies makes the move and buries it. 2-1 for the Canadians. They scored three goals in 12 minutes. Here are the other two. Richie Larea. Tejon Buchanan right in front of Davies. I'll take that one. 3-1 for the Canadians. This is the thing. Canada has talent now, and they also have speed. And when they get running, there's not a lot of teams that can deal with it. Even Mexico had problems dealing with Canada's speed. Davies. This is the fourth goal. Jonathan David, yep, that one's in, 78th minute, 4-1 for the Canadians. They now uh, will play next month two home games in Edmonton. Canada's scheduled to play a home game January 30th against the Americans. We've been hearing that one might be at BC Place Stadium. We have it on pretty good authority. It could Ooh. be BC Place. Wouldn't that be exciting? Back to us, let's hope. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, how a Vancouver cafe avoided catastrophe during the pandemic. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Well, Vancouver-based Katoro Cafe is best known for fueling latte lovers in its coffee shop while also providing a safe haven for its adoptable rescue cats. But ever since the pandemic hit and indoor gatherings were discouraged, the cafe has had to reinvent itself to survive. Aaron MacArthur introduces us to Katoro's successful new business model in this week's Believe BC. The people are back now. Katoro, Vancouver's second cat-themed cafe, opened to positive reviews in 2019. People loved the anime-themed space and lapped up the bubble tea selections in the cafe. But six months after they launched, the pandemic left customers out in the cold. 90% of the business's revenue came from admissions and cafe sales. It, it got really bad and we, we did get pretty close to shutting down and closing our doors. And you know, We had to lay off two-thirds of our employees. Business owners across every sector have had to claw and scratch their way back to some level of success. To avoid catastrophe, the cafe made the pandemic pivot to online sales. Pet food and merchandise kept the lights on and they launched a special delivery service to help retain customers with monthly subscriptions. While Katoro hasn't been able to hire back everyone they let go, recently, revenue finally came back to where it was pre-pandemic. For us to be able to stabilize our business, um, we, we really need both sides. So we, we need our online sales to be good, uh, and we also need uh, you know, the admission sales back up, people coming in, uh, checking us out. A big part of Kitaro's business model revolves around helping charity. 500 rescue cats have found new homes since the cafe opened. The business is hopeful it can sustain itself in the long term to help as many animals as possible. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Oh, I love that. Ring. <laughs> very, very cute. Okay, very quick uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So the rain has certainly begun. We will see it on and off throughout uh, tonight and into tomorrow with a few showers. But really, the heavier rain is set to push in Friday morning. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all.